Proverbs 19.21. It says, Many are the plans in a person's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that what? Prevails. Have you figured that out yet? I would venture to say that we have a room full of planners here. We plan all kinds of things. Uh, This is a season of a lot of planning, isn't it? I mean, how many of you have all your Christmas shopping done? How many of you used a Christmas list? How many of you checked it twice? (laughs) I won't ask the naughty or nice thing. How many of you have got a to-do list for this Christmas, for uh, maybe Christmas dinner? We've got these lists full of, of things that we've got to do, places that we've got to be. It's just a lot of planning sometimes. It's a season of planning. And Christmas kind of segues into the new year. And I believe the prospect of a new year that usually what it does is it revs up the planning engines. We, we have plans. We, we have uh, big plans sometimes. We're going to get in shape, you know, going to lose weight, going to get out of debt, going to slow down this year. And the list goes on and on. Things that we're going to improve in, in 2011, right? Now, some of you will abandon those plans about two weeks or three weeks into the new year. Some of you will abandon them about two days into the new year. And I'm not sure what that's about. You know, maybe it's more about wishing in our lives than planning But here's what I know. When it comes to our lives, we all have life plans. Every one of us have a life plan. It's kind of core to who we are. uh, Some of it may be in the DNA, but they're the thoughts, the desires, your, your hopes and dreams for your life. Some of those, I believe, have been placed there by God. They're a gift from God. Some of those things, well, I think we just kind of want. You know, we want what we want in life. And I think some of the things culture kind of embeds in our hearts. And I know that sometimes we'll choose to go this way in our life. And the reality is that God wants us to go that way. And I know that sometimes we get off of God's path, you know, God's desire for for us and for how we're to live. Sometimes we run into roadblocks along the way. Sometimes something gets between us and our hopes and dreams. Maybe they're schemes. Sometimes we don't understand why. Sometimes we don't understand the, these things. We don't understand uh, why the, the, it happens. And then other times, I think we do. I think we totally get it. We just don't want to admit it. But here's what I've come to realize through the years. And, and it's what this scripture is proclaiming. God's purpose always prevails. Always And to me, that's good news. It's good news because no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody does, no matter what anybody puts you through, no matter what happens in life, God's purpose 
always prevails. And I think it's what Luke was trying to get us to see when he started the book of Luke. As he's recording the, the story, his story, the Christmas story, as he pens history here, he, he's wanting us to see that people have all these plans, all these things that, that they're doing. And he wants us to really key in and realize all this stuff, all this stuff's going on. People are planning and doing, but God's purpose prevails. You know, one day in Rome, the, the most powerful person in the world, this guy is building a, a kingdom for himself, arguably the greatest empire ever. The Roman Empire, it was at its peak, and it's under the rule of Caesar. His kingdom was so, so large, just to give you an idea, it extended all the way north into England, throughout Asia in the east, and south down into Africa. Massive kingdom. Caesar literally ruled all the known world at that time, and he ruled all the people that occupied that world. This Caesar was known as the King of Kings. He was devoted to expanding his glory. He wore a crown, and that crown had not come easy. In fact, it was a difficult crown. And he was dangerous. I mean, he was dangerous to his enemies. I I was reading history on him. And uh, one of of the early, uh, very famous uh, Roman orator, Cicero, was speaking about him. And he said this. He said, he's a talented young man who must be praised, honored, and eliminated. How would you like that to be said about you? One by one, this Caesar eliminated his rivals. By 27 BC, this is before the birth of Christ, 27 years before Christ comes, he is given a new title, Caesar Augustus. The title of August, it's uh, the status of glorious. History had never seen a leader as great as Caesar Augustus. In fact, we know that after his death, years later, People still worshipped this guy, literally. It was Caesar. Caesar was the glory. Glory to Caesar in the highest. And on earth, peace to whomever Caesar found favor with. This Caesar regularly proclaimed, my peace I give you. You know, it's Pax Romana, you may have studied in in history. The peace of Rome, he would give that to people. And it was a bloody peace. It was a bloody peace. He killed a lot of people to achieve the peace. He killed a lot more maintaining that peace. But it was peace. It was a kind of peace. It cost a lot of money. We're told at one time he had a half a million standing soldiers, ready for war at any moment. This guy, smart, very smart. 
we're told by Luke. He's the historian in the New Testament. Luke says this. And it came to pass in those days. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Perhaps no other time in history, before or after, did one person hold so much power, hold it so tightly for for so long. And there went out a decree. Caesar snaps his fingers. He says to the world, go back to your hometown. Tax time. And the whole world, the whole known world, scrambles to obey this guy. See, I I think Luke wanted us to get that. He wanted us to say, you know, watch what's happening in the world. You know, see how his story is going to get really, really interesting as you think about what's happening in history. This Caesar, this king, this absolute monarch that could snap his fingers and make the whole world jump. Power. This Caesar snaps his fingers 1,500 miles away in a little obscure, poor town. A very poor couple undertakes a very hazardous journey at the whim of a king. Scripture says, and it came to pass, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth in Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Luke wanted us to recall history here, what was happening in in the world the, the birth of, of a child. He wanted us to remember, he points out, he goes, it's a little town. Have, it happened to be mentioned in the, the ancient scriptures. You know, it was a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. You know, Micah would, would record, he says, but you, Bethlehem Euphrates, though you're small, itty bitty, among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel. And he goes on down, verse, verse 5, he says, and he will be our what? Peace. Luke wanted the readers to remember the prophecy. He wanted them to remember that because as they're watching history unfold, he wanted them to know that God's purpose had been carried through. That God's purpose had prevailed in the midst of a world that's planning and dreaming and scheming. God was working toward a purpose in the midst of it all. Ancient prophecy said that the Messiah would come and be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph never would have made the trip to Bethlehem if it wasn't for Caesar. There went out a decree, and it came to pass. I mean, why did it come to pass? Why did they go to Bethlehem? Well, I'm sure if you were to ask Caesar, he'd tell you it's because of him. 
He made the call. He snapped his fingers. He sent out a decree. And that's what Luke wants us to see. He wants us to see which king is really at work, which king is really in power. Whose will was being done? It's kind of the tale of two cities here. Because in Rome, Caesar, he's one kind of king, one kind of glory, one kind of peace, Pax Romana. But he's one kind of king. Bethlehem, you got another kind of king, don't you? Another kind of kingdom, another kind of glory, and another kind of peace. You know, in Rome, we, we've got soldiers, a vast army, wealth, chariots, swords. And in Bethlehem, you got a stable, a donkey, and a group of shepherds. But the angels weren't singing in Rome, were they? They're singing in Bethlehem. Caesar thought his throne was as secure as it could be. And I thought about that. I guess from a humanly speaking point of view, it was probably as secure as you could get. But the real king? Lying in a manger. Bethlehem. Luke, Luke is trying to kind of expose the illusion. An illusion every one of us have, I think. That it's all up to me. Life is about extending my little kingdom. You know, we, I think we all carry this burden with us, don't we? My kingdom my power, my glory. It's mine. I'm in charge of it. You know, I was thinking about how to best uh, share this in uh, one of the best political science books you will, will ever find. It's written by a guy by the name of Dr. Seuss. How many of you have ever read Yertle the Turtle? I, I love this book. I love this book. And Yertle, uh, it's about this turtle that lives on a little bitty pond. And it is ruled by Yertle the turtle, or so he thinks anyway. And one day he decides he's going to extend his, his kingdom. And I like this line. He says, I'm king, he said, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. Boy, how contemporary. I mean, and it came to pass, and there went out a decree from Yertle the turtle. He decided that all the turtles would be stacked up, that they would become his new throne. He would sit on top of them all. He would extend his power, his glory. And so the king snaps his fingers, and the whole pond scrambles to obey him. First, there there are dozens of turtles. Then there's hundreds of turtles. Yertle had a vision of a vast kingdom. He says, I'm Yertle the turtle, oh marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see. Yertle Augustus. 
he thought his throne was secure. But it wasn't. He's sitting on a stack of turtles. And I love the, the, the imagery. I don't know if you can, you can see very good here, but I love the imagery of him. He's at the very top. It says, for the turtle on the bottom did a plain little thing. He burped. And that burp shook the throne of a king. And today the great Yertle, the marvelous he, is the king of the mud. That's all you can see. Political science at its best. Friends, that's where all kings end up. Kings for 2,000 years ago, they end up in the mud. Kings today will end up in the mud. Even if you are Yertle Augustus, Yertle VIP, you know, MVP, PhD, CEO, you know, BMOC, whatever. One burp away. And you got a kingdom problem. And you know what? We all have kingdom problems. I want to build my kingdom. And when I do that, there's this burden that comes on me. You know, my family, my work, my friends, my stuff. So we try and build our kingdoms and make them as secure as we can. And we try to control our kingdoms. Anybody trying to do that? Every once in a while, there's a little burp somewhere. And you find reality. I mean, some, some are, are bold and very, very obvious about building their kingdom. Most of us, a little more sneaky. A little more subtle about the kingdom building process. But make make no mistake about it, we're building it. And it came to pass, and there went out a decree, it went out from me. You know, I walk in my office, projects are getting done, things are running smooth, things are coming together. You know what that means? I'm in control. I'm in charge. You know, when my kids were growing up, If all the toys were picked up and things were in the right place, if they'd done all their chores, if they weren't running through the house and jumping over the couches, if they were eating all their vegetables, do you know what it meant? I'm in charge. I'm in control. You know, if I get done at the end of a really hard day, my slippers are by the couch, tea's ready, TV's already on ESPN. Dinner's on the stove. Do you know what it means? I'm in the wrong house. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said dream, and that would work. Friends, we get confused whose kingdom it is. And friends, when I get Um, preoccupied with my kingdom 
I get worried. I get stressed. I get selfish. I get preoccupied. I start feeling threatened. I start feeling vulnerable in my life. You know, if I if things are, are moving along, they don't go as I planned. I just get frustrated and mad. And if things are going my way, I can get pretty puffed up. Many are the plans in a person's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Always. And there went out a decree, and God's in charge. You know, we, we build our kingdoms. We, we want people to, to see what we built, what we're doing, and it crumbles to the dust, to the mud. And God says, you know what, I'll take the rubble and I'll build something splendor. God's in charge. God's always in charge. God's in charge. And God can use kings. And he can use evil kings without him even realizing it. The foundation for God's building a redeemed kingdom is in a manger. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. God's in charge. Christmas has been done. God's kingdom has already slipped into the world. That's what Luke wanted us to get. It's a new peace. And that's what made the angels sing. That's what made the, the angels take notice. That's what dropped their jaws, I think. When they realized that the God that had created the universe was in charge of absolutely everything and that that God decided that he'd come down to this earth, that he would wrap himself in human frailty and weakness, that he would become a child. You know, Christmas isn't about a challenge to do something. It's not even to, for us to sing or, or to, to give anything or sign up to do anything. It's not about us. And it came to pass. There went out a decree. God was going to do something that would make the angels sing. Think about that. I mean, what is it? What made the angels sing? What, why did they, they get so excited? Well, because God was going to come down to earth. History. History is going to be changed. His story is full of this amazing thing. I mean, one of the things that strikes me about a God that would choose to do that, this God-made flesh, is that the infinite... Think about this. The infinite all of a sudden decides, you know what, I'll be confined to space. I'll be limited in my life. You know, the psalmist, David, David writes and he says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride in the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. This sense of wherever I go, David says, wherever I look, wherever I am, that I'm thinking, God, you're everywhere. The God that's always been unlimited is now going to be confined to the little baby. The one that, that has occupied the universe 
He's going to have to learn how to walk. He's only going to be able to go as fast as his little feet will carry him. Staggering to the angels. The one that was able to speak the world into existence can't do that anymore. He's going to have to learn to, to make things with his hands. He's going to have difficulties in his life like everybody else. I'm going to guess he had headaches, that he would get the flu. He probably went through a stage where he was just clumsy and awkward in life. His body would get tired. He would get hurt. And he would bleed. And the whole world would know it. And he confined himself to space, to the body of a child, and it made the angels take notice. I think another thing that they noticed was that the eternal, the eternal God is going to confine himself to, to time. And I have a hard time getting my mind around this, to be, to be honest. You know, the, the psalmist says a thousand years in your sight are like a day. It's just gone by or like a watch in the night. You know, the God of eternity, the God who, who was in existence before the world was even created, now he's going to live in time. He's going to be confined. He's going to face frustrations for the first time because he's got to grow up one day at a time. God's going to have uh, desires It'll never be gratified. He's going to have to wait. Think about that. He's going to have to wait to play. Got to wait for his birthday. Got to wait for those new freedoms that he will get as he's getting older. He's got to wait his turn on the Xbox or whatever, something like that. The angels realize that. Angels realize that the God of creation is all of a sudden going to have to learn submission. Throughout eternity, he's been, he's been the master of everything. The psalmist says, nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. Friends, the earth is no longer going to melt. Not, not for this little baby. Not for this baby in a manger. Not for this baby in Bethlehem. Now he's going to have a mother and father that he has to obey. Anybody have a strong-willed child? Cindy and I raised one. I'm not going to use names because they're both here today, and I would be coughing one of them up. So we'll do that to kind of protect uh, somebody. But um, I can remember uh, asking one of them, over and over, do not get out of bed again. Do not get out of bed again. And I'm like, if you get out of bed again, you, you're going to get it. She couldn't have been more than five or six. And I remember her just looking at me going, well, you might as well spank me now because I'm getting back out of bed. <laughs> and I could tell you hundreds of stories just like that. Same outcome. <laughs> Strong-willed, and it was a challenge. And I have to laugh because she has several strong-willed children. (laughs) Be careful what you pray for, parents. 
think I just coughed her up. <laughs> can, can you imagine? Can you imagine being the parents of Jesus? Jesus, who had known the ultimate authority throughout all eternity. Now, now he's going to have to submit to his parents. They will tell him when to go to bed. They will tell him where he can go, where he can't go, what he can do, what he can't do. He's going to have to not only submit to them, he's going to submit to other people, to teachers, to bosses. We know Jesus worked as a carpenter, probably worked for his father. But there may have been other people involved. So when he's, he's pounding nails, sawing, you know, sanding furniture maybe, you have to kind of go, God chose this. You know, I think we all get amped up when, when you start talking about like the organizational chart at work. Who answers to who? You know, we get all wrapped up in the hierarchy. You know, who, who's in charge? Think about the master of the universe. He's an assistant carpenter now. Talk about a demotion. I mean, it's serious demotion. Master of the universe throughout eternity, all the wealth of creation at his fingertips. Now his family's so poor, they, they can't even afford the, the lamb that was to be sacrificed for the firstborn. That's what Jewish law demanded. There was a provision, though, in the law that if your family was too poor, they couldn't afford a lamb to sacrifice, you could buy a couple doves. It was on the cheap. That's what Mary and Joseph did. They did the cheap thing because that's all they could afford. I think that's why Paul, he writes in Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, uh, verse 8 and 9, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become what? Rich. God became flesh. It's what the theologians called the incarnation. God becoming human. It's a riches to rag story. It's just the opposite. And it's amazing. But it's not the best part of this, I don't think. I mean, as the the angels look on, as they look at God, they realize that God that had lived in a perfect world, a God that was perfect, all of a sudden is going to take on human suffering. We know that he would weep when he would lose a friend. We know that all of a sudden he had moved from all the angels worshiping him to now he's going to be mocked by cynics, by his enemies. He'll be despised, rejected by people, even friends. And Jesus took on all those external humiliations and hostilities And he took on the internal stuff, too. I mean, he took on our worries. He took on our fears. He took on our loneliness. Jesus, at one point in in his life, he says, now my heart's troubled. 
He's kind of contemplating where his life is going. What is future held? He says, I'm troubled about it. Because he sees that it's leading to the cross. He sees this unbelievable anguish that, that he's going through. But he took it on. He took it on. He took on our guilt. He took on our suffering. He took on our pain. He took on our sin. And God made a choice. God made a choice, a deliberate choice. He was willing to sacrifice himself and come to this world in the manger. Friends, heaven and earth are going to collide. It's going to explode. It's mind-boggling. And the angels are watching. And they're watching. They're watching the eternal step into time. They're watching the infinite confine himself. He's watching this person of absolute, complete, utter authority become weak. The perfect one is going to take on sin, but it's still not the best. You know what the best part is? He came for you and me. It's so intimate. I mean, maybe you know God really well. Maybe you spend your days walking with him as close as you can. Maybe you keep God at a distance, over in a corner somewhere. Or maybe you just avoid God. Maybe life's just a mess. But here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't matter. Because God came for you. God came for you. God is working in your world. He's working in this world. Things may be going the way you want them. You may be. You're to Augustus. Or you may be at the very bottom. Being crushed under the weight of of the world and everyone above you. But it doesn't matter. It came to pass, and there went out a decree, and it came out of Bethlehem, a Savior, he came for you. And it changes everything. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's glory. Not like the glorious Caesar. Not, not like someone sitting way off on a throne in some distant land. Not a bloody, uncertain peace. No. Very, very different. John says the word became flesh. See, the incarnation, God coming down and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God's grace, God's truth, God's time, God's way. God's in charge. It's about peace in your life. I think it's why Jesus makes a statement in his ministry. He says, I I give you peace. The kind of peace that only I can give. It isn't like the peace that this world can give. I think he would have said, Caesar Augustus can give. It's not like that. 
No, it's eternal peace. It's perfect peace. And friends, here's what I want you to get this Christmas. We could go around and you all have your stories. And some of you, this year has beat you up pretty good. For some of you, you may say this is the best year I've ever had. Whether you're way up here or you feel like you're crushed at the bottom. God is in charge. God is in control. And God works and God's purpose always, always, no matter how bad it gets, always prevails. No matter how good it gets, God's purpose always prevails. And I think it's the greatest gift when you finally realize that. God's purpose prevails in your life and mine. And that's Christmas. When you realize that, it truly is. When you realize that God loves you that much, that he will make sure whatever it takes to bring you to where you need to be. Let's bow in a word of prayer to God. Our holy God, we all we all have a kingdom problem. And God, I know there are many here today that seems like it's all coming undone. The pressures are great. The pain the hurt, frustration. God, I pray that we would rest in your peace. God, I know when things are going well that um, it is so easy to think we are in control. Father, forgive us for that. Again, fill our joy. We can, we can find that if we just rest in your peace. And thank you for the promise of a Savior. Thank you for the work that was done that Christmas, the very first Christmas. You just slipped into this world. God, I pray that we just realize you came for each one of us. That it would rock us to our core. And that we would worship you and praise you. God, we give you the glory. We give you the praise. This day and every day. Amen.